Welcome to Design Huddle Podcast, where two internet friends break down what's new in tech and design. Each week, we talk about what's trending in tech, have some hilarious candid interviews with creative professionals, and drop some knowledge on you so you can stay ahead of the pending robot apocalypse. Now let's get into this week's topic. All right, guys, today we have a fire guest for today's podcast. He's head of strategy for the design sprint agency toy in Los Angeles. He helps companies create better products faster using design sprints. He's been building products, designing, coaching, consulting for over 15 years plus and has tasted all the flavors of skills required to be a badass in this design industry of ours and also to work with some of the largest brands in the world today. Guys, please help us welcoming and his beard, Zach Hill (laughs) to Design Huddle. Zach, welcome, up? man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Happy to be on the show. The beard, the beard looks even better over video chat. I have to say, for those that are listening, the beard is the real deal. I said fifteen years, but that beard definitely adds an extra ten in terms of experience. So we're de- we're we're dealing with a very highly experienced um, design expert today in strategy. So, guys, just to give you guys context, what you guys are going to be learning today, Zach is probably the only, or at least from you know just googling him for the this entire week he has a such a huge journey in terms of where he's been in the last uh really his entire career so today what you guys are going to learn is really what it takes and really his mindset in terms of going from not just a doer somebody who's a designer um you know behind the screen but also translating from going from a doer graphic designer illustrator to a facilitator and strategist so really what that's entire journey and the gems that you're going to get out of this podcast and some laughs that's what you guys can uh look forward to today so yeah. <laughs> zach um i've talked long enough so ryan i want you know i'm gonna let yeah. you uh grab this yeah first. i mean zach i think it's a very normal transition where you go from someone that is um very tactical you know creating individual designs having a very you know box create x by this timeline using these resources when was the first time you actually when talk a little bit about when you got your first exposure to a design sprint and when you kind of thought, Hey, like this is something that I kind of want to pursue further. Yeah. So, um, before I started doing the design sprint, I actually learned, uh, you know, the core system, the core framework from like the future, you know, Jose Caballer and Christo, they've been doing their thing for a long time. And I kind of picked that up a few years ago and that was like my first taste to like design thinking and like design strategy in general. And that kind of whole journey I did kind of with facilitation and workshops led me to reading the design sprint, you know, a couple of years ago. And that obviously blew my mind and the work like Jake Knapp did and, and kind of his history. That led me to learning some things with AJ and Smart. I know you had Brittany on a, a while back. So, you know, I did the master class with them to kind of learn more about design sprints. And I've probably done... Uh, more than a dozen design sprints and tons and tons of like core style design as a thinking workshops. Or since. as a facilitator? Facilitator, yeah. And then are you doing the full, like, are you doing like kind of a, a shorter, like a three-day sprint, um, design sprint? Or are you doing the full, like, 
four or five day one? I think it depends on the the problem and you know what the client is bringing to us. You know, as far as you know what they need to get accomplished. But typically, we'll do like a four day design sprint. Uh, is like Adrian Spar teaches, but uh, then we'll also throw in maybe some core workshop activities or different design thinking exercises. And I try to customize things based on the client needs. As a facilitator, what's the most common uh, mistake or like issue that you run into when running a sprint? Yeah, that's that's a really good question because there's like a lot of things that you kind of have to think about as a facilitator, and one is kind of being able to control the room in a really friendly way, you know, without being a jerk. And I always kind of joke with the people participating that the further we go through the sprint, the meaner I'm going to get, quote unquote. But, you know, kind of being able to time box exercises, control the conversation and, and kind of find that balance between ideation and kind of brain vomit, so to speak, where people are kind of talking too much and things are going off the rails. So really, really managing the room in general. Yeah, I think I think the time and keeping people on task are probably the most obvious, but the most important things that a facilitator needs to do during a design sprint. So I can, that's super relatable, uh, but I'll kick it over to you, Brendan. Yeah, definitely. It, I really like, and I know we were talking about this before, really the, how your transition period between, uh, you know, doing facilitating and you know, there's two different skills required in terms of what you have to control the variables. I would love to um, kind of compare and contrast just so uh, to touch on what, you know, we kicked off the, the podcast with. So in terms of facilitating, you said, you know, controlling the room, being able to uh, keep time tight with each activity. How was your transition in this period? I know we, we, we kind of went on and went on a rabbit hole before the, the podcast started, but how did you go from, you know, being the graphic designer, illustrator, um, and then moving into facilitating? How was, how was that first time facilitating for you? What were the challenges there? Yeah, I think, you know, just from, from my background, I started off as a graphic designer and illustrator, but then at the same time, while I was doing that, I know it's really weird. I was a very serious high school and AAU basketball coach. And I bring that up because, you know, facilitation and leading design workshops, or it was kind of combining both of those loves, like working with a lot of people and like teaching, coaching, a little bit of education with design. And so, you know, when I was starting my, you know, again, my graphic design path, I was absolutely convinced I was going to be an illustrator. But then my first job out of college was a web, you know, with a web design agency and doing web design work. And I thought I wasn't going to like it, but I loved it. And then while I was uh, going, you know, doing my work with that agency, I found out this whole like design facilitation, design thinking thing. I was like, cool, I get to do this coaching style stuff while I'm a designer too. That sounds amazing. And and I and I know this is kind of a long-winded answer, but my first experience with facilitation kind of came out somewhat easy. I don't want to sound arrogant or make it sound like it's simple, but because I was able to kind of coach basketball for all these years, I had all this coaching experience. I felt I was able to take that into design, like the design thinking workshops or, or design sprints. And it felt kind of natural to me. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I played a lot of sports growing up too, Zach. So I actually kind of really relate to that, how being an athlete, a coach translates really well uh, to being a designer teamwork, being able to, you know, communicate effectively, being able to lead by example. These are all things that, you know, you can use sports as obvious metaphors, but you can do like obviously in the design world as well. So I, I, 
Uh, I don't want to say that athletes are more likely to be better designers, but if you did happen to play like team sports growing up, I do think it can be a small skill set that you can lean on to become more effective. Yeah, totally. It, it really taught me, you know, playing basketball and coaching basketball, just tell me how to kind of work well with people. And to your point, Ryan, I think, you know, that's probably one of the most, in my opinion, like underrated skills in the design world is to be able to communicate effectively with people and just be a good team player. I, I think that just doesn't get spoken about enough. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I just want to really tie that, not tie it up, but I think what is really critical here, and a lot of people have also said it, um, I'm kind of connecting the dots here. A lot of people have also said on our podcast, you know, from Matthew, because he was also, um, you know, I think in his case, he was talking about his discipline came from, you know, the extracurriculars that he did, not just design. But I think it's really important. And even um, connecting the dots from something that Chris Doe had tweeted this morning um, that, you know, a lot of designers think that they're artists and they don't do a lot of things outside of design where they can create connect connect the dots in a better form to be you know a broader um just be more knowledgeable in a broader sense rather than being you know super you know it's good to be really be an expert in what it is that you do but to be able to to be relatable and to expand your expertise into other areas um in, in general you have to be open to things in this nature or in for this in this example, I can't talk today. I just had that much coffee. My brain is like trying to get across five different ideas at once. Um, but in this case where, you know, Zach is saying that extracurriculars in this case, coaching has helped him kind of develop a speaking or, you know, being able to be a team player and control the room people in time in such a way that allows him to bring that into his design expertise and just be even uh, better. I think it, it's important to broaden our skill set and try different things and try to bring what we learn outside of design to our design career. So I just wanted to say that. I think um, I, I kind of wanted to say that because I was connecting dots there. But yeah, that, about I think that's a good that's a good summary, Brendan. Um, so, Zach, just to kind of get back a little bit on the tactical front. So like, while, when you're running a design sprint, what, what activity do you think energizes people the most and you get the most value from? You know, I think it's the uh, the whole note and vote process that kind of comes up through all the exercises. So I know that's kind of like skirting the question, but everyone loves that process, I've noticed. So like the first time they literally just get to kind of uh, spend their time writing down their ideas and then voting on it, they kind of get that spark right away. Like, oh, this is different. This is not a, just a typical brainstorming meeting or whatever. You know, so, you know, right out, like the first exercise we run that involves the voting process, there's that kind of excitement and democracy. And I think one of the things that ends up happening that gets everyone excited is that maybe the best ideas or the most voted on ideas happen from like the junior people or, you know, not the executives or the c-suite and so when the we, we when we see that for the first time uh that gets even like the the leaders excited as well i've noticed so i, I think noting yeah, in general that's a great great point i mean i think a lot of times you expect the most senior person in the room to just you know have the most say right, right. so it's like oh i it's my idea like everyone should vote on it but it tends to be the people that actually are like the product experts or the problem experts, people that are on the front lines that actually work you know, in the weeds and they can really advocate for what the users are experiencing. They tend to have the best ideas. So I, I love that everyone gets a voice. And I also think that something, because I, I do agree that the voting is like obviously an underlying theme throughout the entire sprint process. 
But the other uh, underlying thing that I think is really vital for facilitators is to set the expe- expectation up front that there's no such thing, there's no bad ideas. It's really, this is a safe space to throw it out there. Let's, you know, start obviously very wide, like diverge, and then you could obviously bring it back together and hone in on the best ideas. So I just wanted to see what your, uh, like if you have anything else to add that if what you do at the beginning of a sprint to ensure that everyone's aligned. Yeah, there's, so there's a, that's a really good point, Ryan. There's a couple of things I do to kind of emphasize it's a safe space. Like the first thing I do is write down the schedule uh, on the whiteboard of like, here's what's going to go on. That it makes everyone feel immediately a lot safer, a lot better. And I had to learn that the hard way when I would kind of just like, here's what's randomly coming up next. You have no idea. You know, that used to intimidate people, but now they see that schedule and they, that feel, they feel a lot better now. Um, and then second thing is just to, again, Ryan, you hit the nail on the head, just to emphasize that there really is no bad ideas. We're going to learn something no matter what. And then even if the prototype that we create at the end of the week is a quote unquote failure, we're going to learn from that and grow from that. So there's no bad outcomes here from my experience. And that, that's something I like emphasize. That's like usually the first thing I say, you know, when I start a sprint. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's, uh, it's so, it's so important. It's such a simple thing, but that first uh, 10 minutes of the sprint arguably are the most important because it sets the tone. The facilitator's job is to have as much empathy as possible and to make sure that everyone's voice is heard. And the other thing that's important is that if someone is being quiet, it's the facilitator's job to kind of say, you know, like sometimes, you know, people can dominate the conversations. It's pulling them in and engaging them saying, you know, so-and-so, like, what do you think about this topic? You know, what do you, how, how would you solve this problem? So I really do think that's important. I think people warm up, obviously, as it goes on. And then just to set context, I think most people that are in the UX fields, um, but we do have other just kind of creative professionals that are following this podcast. So a design sprint really is just, uh, it's a way to solve a problem. Um, on Typically, it's broken into a series of days. Like Monday, you can make a map and choose a target. Um, the second day is really about sketching out and coming up with new ideas. Wednesday, you're kind of deciding and uh, bringing it all back together on what you want to focus on. Thursday is about like, you know, prototyping. And then, you know, the fifth day is about testing it with actual customers. There's a million different variations of this over the years, but that's kind of the high level arching um, goal. But the goal is really to, my favorite part about a design sprint is fostering communications by uh, multiple cross-functional teams. People that don't typically work together, they all get aligned and they all get on the same page. And typically you can have an out, like a, a very specific problem solved um, in a very timely fashion. That's my like, you know, elevator pitch of a des- design sprint overview. But um, yeah, I, I guess like Zach, is there any variations or things that you don't like about sprints that you would change? Ooh, that's a, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think there's a couple exercises that can can has the most potential to go off the rails uh, from my experience that maybe I would change down the road as I get more experience and maybe want to tinker with things a little bit more. Uh, you know, the map and the storyboard or the, you know, these are, I know these are two exercises that I'm not providing any context, uh, but they're basically two exercises where there's the most discussion and less kind of noting and voting as I've talked about. And it's more like drawing and having like an open brainstorm. So I probably would want to change or, and even in some cases I've, I've taken out, um, you know, those exercises just again, based on the needs of the client, if they have something that's more of a brand problem or, uh, 
a digital strategy problem that's less like UX based. And we might take the, out those exercises all together and just focus on bringing some brand exercises or something along those lines. Yeah, I think that's an, like another important note is that you can sub in and out exercises based off of the audience, totally. the company, the problem. I think that's a really good uh, like tidbit there. Um, yeah, and then I mean, for just to kind of uh, piggyback here, my my answer would be sometimes during crazy eights, people feel uncomfortable because of their drawing skills. So, but so basically, being giving an exercise like there's a common one where you draw someone next to you, take a minute to like sketch someone that's sitting next to you, so it kind of loosens them up and gets them excited for the activity. But I feel like a lot of people, uh, because of the time constraints, they get overwhelmed by saying like, move on to the next block, move on to the next block. And again, like that, for those of you that haven't gone through a sprint or facilitated a sprint, it's basically an exercise to rapidly come up with eight ideas and you can do a minute or two minute blocks. I've seen both variations and basically you throw out potential ideas. So a, a, a very like specific examples, like, you know, if you were coming up with a like ways to improve like a product detail page. So if you're buying like shoes on like, I don't know, like a, some shoe company's site, and you want to make the site better, you could come up with ideas of like having an automatic carousel to display. Um, so you basically would mock up in kind of like a wireframe type way, very low fidelity ideas that could potentially be used to solve a more specific problem. So um, yeah, that's that was just like why I just wanted to kind of add there where I see people get a little overwhelmed by that process. I don't know if you have any tips on how to get people more comfortable with the crazy eight process. Yeah, we, I've had experiences where the the participants are um, intimidated by the drawing process of the whole. You know, the whole four step process, including crazy eights. You know, so I usually like to start off with like I have like an art school joke where. I say like I went to art school. I'm going to be drawing stick figures and boxes just like you. It's not about the quality of the drawings, you know. So it's not a big deal if you can't draw. And then we do we we do something similar, uh, like as you mentioned, Ryan, but like maybe drawing the person next to you. We actually just give a few minutes like open doodle time. Just draw, come up with whatever. You don't even have to worry about the problem we're talking about right now. Just play and have fun and draw. Um, cause I, you know, I think there's some psychology behind just kind of getting, like getting rid of the blank piece of paper, staring them in the face and just getting stuff on paper. If you get them past that hurdle, I've noticed that the crazy aids and the final solution sketches get a lot more comfortable for the people that are participating in the workshop. Yeah. Brendan, I don't know if you've been through any sprints lately, but anything to add there? Nope. But you guys have my brain sprinting. I'm really glad that we definitely <laughs> defined the de- design sprint in crazy eights. Because just as an example, someone said today to me, they were like, we got to codify this. And I was like, we're going fishing. I really didn't understand what was happening. (laughs) What was happening. Um, (laughs) For those of you guys who don't know what codify is, apparently it is a streamline um, and organizing uh, rules. So I thought we were going codding fishing. Um, So if you guys didn't get that joke. Oh, I thought it was like Call of Duty. See, see, not everybody knows I would have thought that too, actually. I'm more in a COD train. Yeah. (laughs) There's so much jargon in the in the design world. Yeah, that's like I've I've been trying to be better about that. Um, so, but in I, I I again I, I think like the one thing I'm kind of reflecting on what we were just talking about a little bit, and uh, there's a lot of way a lot of reasons you would do a design sprint. AJ and Smart, I'm sure Zachary, you know Zach has a ton of ways of when to do a sprint, when not. I know that the AJ and Smart team does a really good job covering this, but really I like it because it's learning without building and launching. Like a lot of the old yes. way was like make small tape, like make a design, hand it over to your development team, push it to users, wait for user feedback, and then repeat the process. 
that's a ton of time and a ton of energy when you could do this much quicker and get to more valid results without doing any like any coding whatsoever. And if you read the sprint book, I like my favorite part is the intro when they talk about um, companies that have gone through this and how they've prototyped, I think is brilliant. Like the, the being able to prototype by just using like Google slides or something very, very scrappy is such a powerful skill set that you don't need some crazy design software to do. You just need to emulate what the experience looks like. So Zach, I wanted to get your take on, is have you done any interesting prototypes? I know sometimes companies skip it because they basically, uh, they, you know, they only do the, the, the first three portions that we talked about. But I think prototyping is actually one of the coolest aspects of the sprint process. Um, so do you have any best practices or anything that you want to highlight there? Oh, I think the the first thing when it comes to prototyping is to agree with you in the sense where it doesn't have to be this super buttoned up uh, finished product. There's this tendency from both stakeholders and designers participating in the sprint like, oh, it has to be clean and ready to go. And that's true to a certain extent. But to your point, it can be just Google Slides or can it be mid-fi or low-fi, right? Uh, I've read stories. I haven't done any of this personally, but I've read stories where like people will record uh, – you know, someone pretending to do like some kind of service design and then show it off to testers or something like that. So, uh, you know, our kind of, we're, we're typically in the digital product space. So our prototyping is definitely more conventional. We'll do things in sketch, uh, upload them in Envision, and that's how our prototype works. Uh, but I love seeing the unconventional approaches to your point and how it doesn't always have to be super buttoned up at first to get the results you're looking for from testers. Yeah, and that's what it's, – it's funny because putting a time constraint around something, you really get people's creative energy going, right? Exactly. Because you don't have – you know, unlimited amount of time to sit and sketch or, you know, web flow or something else. So you have to be more scrappy. So I think it's, it's a really good skill set, And it also kind of reminds people after you leave the sprint that, you know, sometimes, you know, perfection can be crippling and getting something good enough sometimes is what you, is what you need to kind of keep a project on time um, and moving forward. Um, so I know we, we kind of hammered out, you know, design sprints, uh, a good amount here, but I wanted to also talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the other skills that you think are valuable, like just as when you're working with, um, you know, basically managing like, uh, I guess like expectations or, uh, when stuff isn't going great, you know what I mean? So like sometimes projects are kind of veering off course or maybe the results aren't initially as good as you expected. How do you how do you steer back the conversation and kind of realign expectations if things aren't going your way? Yeah, that's a good question, and you know, it, it unfortunately can happen. You know, from time to time when you're working with clients and uh, on projects. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not saying that that's happened to you, but maybe like earlier in your career. Obviously, like you you're like a mat, you're an expert so, now, <laughs> but I'm sure it took you a while to get to that point. Yeah, no, and, and I think it's. I'm not afraid to say I think it's always going to be part of the business. That being said, you know, it's like you can't make everybody happy constantly all the time. You know, there's always going to be moments where uh, there's going to be some misalignment. Right. Uh, and, and that kind of so to me, when I'm anytime I'm experiencing that, it's always, you know, the alignment is the key word. What are some ways I could get realigned with the client, with the stakeholder, with the design team that I'm working with, you know, early and often? That could be something like running another mini workshop 
or a mini discovery session. Uh, I'm a big fan of scaffolding uh, or iterating to final solutions. And I know that's pretty popular in design culture in general, especially these days. But I think the, the more you do things in bursts or scaffolding to a solution, the less like resistance you're going to experience from you know stakeholders or clients. So that's what we try to do at Toy. And usually it's pretty successful for us. But anytime things start going off the rails, I'm always thinking we're just off alignment somewhere. They're smart. We're smart. We're just going to get back on the same page. Just like acknowledging it, right? Not just kind of skirting around and saying like, hey, listen, like, yeah, no, got exactly. a little off track. You know, we kind of took, we, we chased some rabbit holes, which are obviously going to happen because people are passionate about their ideas. So bringing the conversation back and keeping everyone um, focused on what is the user's goals and ultimately like what is the problem that we're trying to solve here. Yeah, no, exactly. There's a tendency that I've noticed, um, you know, in the design community where like the client will be the enemy, the client's bad. And this is really the client's a really smart, successful person that has their own ideas of what success is. And it's your goal to align with that. And then to your point, Ryan, the next layer is to get your goals and their goals aligned with the goals of the user. And that's where the magic happens from my experience. So if there's something going wrong on the project is because one of those you know there's a misalignment between either you or the client or you the client and the user or a combination thereof and it doesn't mean anyone's like a bad guy or wrong or anything like that love that it's a great it's a great summary brandon bring us back on track you know how i you know how sometimes i chase my chase my ideas but uh i haven't talked to someone that's as passionate about design sprints like zach in a while so i had to get all my major uh questions off no, this is good. I like that we're in the. I like that we're in the rabbit hole. I hope everybody has a has a carrot with them on this journey as we <laughs> as we go. I just want to make sure that we define things because we are getting hella nerdy up in here. Um, so scaffolding. I want to just roll back and then I want to kind of uh, trail back to a couple things. Um, just for everybody who's listening, what is the definition of scaffolding? For me, I'll just explain my definition and how we approach it. It's by. You know, going through several phases, like many phases of a project, and it could be different for any, you know, creative and kind of having multiple check-in points with a client or a stakeholder to kind of assure that we're going on the right path. Because like how I used to do things, and I think a lot of designers still might do this, they might get a brief going into a design cave for a month, bring back like a round one comp and hopefully everyone likes it. And just from my experience, that hasn't worked out. So what we like to do is have like weekly check-ins, check out like a piece of design or a piece of whatever, you know, what we're working on and just to make sure that we're on the same path. So scaffolding allows us to course correct a project early and often if we need to. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's how I define it. Yeah, I think just to piggyback on that a little bit, I think Zach's definition is pretty spot on. Like just to kind of put it in perspective a little bit, So it really came from like in education, the term scaffolding refers to the process which teachers like model or demonstrate on how to solve a problem. They step back, then they offer support and let people kind of go as needed. So I really do think that there's this scaffolding has this element of support and education associated with it. Yeah, totally spot on. I agree with that. The educational part too, uh, because I think it's part of your role as a designer as well, especially if you're doing like design thinking strategy stuff. Yeah, it's so true because like if you can leave someone by educating them how to do it better the next time and you basically make yourself or what you did obsolete, that makes you so much more valuable that you were able to leave them totally. with tidbits and basically empower them to say, hey, like you can be a design facilitator too. 
Like you can do what I'm doing and you can do this and repeat this process. That's why I think it's so powerful that people that tend to go through it, they tend to be very passionate about it regardless if they're designers. Like I've seen, you know, business stakeholders, marketers, very senior people, very junior people, people leave energized. So anytime you have a process that leaves people energized and like excited about the problem that they're solving, um, it's just good for like morale as well. Like I think it's just really a really powerful um, exercise. I think that's why it's become so mainstream and so popular. And I also like think that it's like there's going to be variations and there's going to be something bigger and better like coming down the road. So I always like try to think of like, you know, what what's next? Like what how could you actually take that process and make it better? I, I think the first wave of people iterating on it is like changing the uh, the scope. So basically, is it one day? Is it two days? Is it three days? Is it four day? Is it five day? Um, but uh, I'm fully confident that we'll see something else kind of spring out of the design community that is equally as valuable and kind of repeatable like this. Uh, do you have any, any, anything, Zach, that you think that you, like anything, any other, I guess, like processes or frameworks that you've been thinking about? Yeah, you know, it's, I'm, first of all, I'm always, I'm like you, always looking for the next thing. You know, for me, the first thing for me was core. I fell in love with core, what Chris and Jose was doing. And then that led me to the design sprint. And then to that note, I'm always like searching for what's next. And, uh, you know, I think what's interesting to me is I think the, the, the design sprint is creating like creating a recipe book for the idea or concept of design thinking. So I'm curious to see what other recipe books are going to get created, you know, based on that. So I think the design sprint is one way to kind of commodify or uh, create a concrete feeling of, uh, you know, what design thinking is in an abstract level. And I think there's going to be more explorations to your point in that nature. So as far as frameworks go, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of like, uh, there's a ton of things out there, I think, but they're all kind of, from my experience so far, just remixes or variations of what you see in the design sprint. So I, I'm curious to see what kind of comes out and I'm confident like you, there's going to be, there's going to be plenty of new things that are going to come out. Yeah, it's awesome. I think it just speaks volumes to the design community because it's just like a bunch of creative people that love solving problems. So naturally, like another problem is like, how can we make it even more effective and more efficient? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And I, I try to like, I there's been times in the middle of a workshop, I might change something up or try something new. And I think in general, if you want to do this, like facilitate, you know, for most of your career, uh, be nimble and be ready to remix and change things up and be flexible. Yeah. So is that another like theme of design huddles? You like, kind of like want to celebrate failures or mistakes. So like what advice would you give yourself early on to kind of set yourself up for success? Maybe getting to where you are faster or like more effectively? Yeah. I mean, uh, to be transparent, I was you know, a big, I was a person that was definitely afraid of failure and that definitely slowed down my career, especially when I was younger. Uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad you're bringing that up because the one thing I would tell my younger self is to not be afraid of failure and just go for it. And like one of the biggest things I learned as I transitioned from graphic design to UX design is embracing failure because I think failure and iteration and learning from failure is a big part of the design process in general, but I found it even more so in UX design. Uh, you know, so that was that was hard for me at first to kind of be okay with like quote unquote breaking things or messing things up. So just embracing failure. I don't know if I'm answering your question. No, but, but I, I think you're, with that you're embracing it is in, you know coming from a uh, like just circling back to the basketball piece, right? Like losing a basketball game is a very yeah. simple example of failure, right? Like 
I remember when I was young, I hated losing. You, there's kind of two types of people, people that hate to lose or people that love to win. So <laughs> for me, I think sometimes I, sometimes for me, like I hate to lose and I hate like being on the, yeah. like, the failure side of sports. So uh, that's, I think that's like, I think most people can kind of relate to that, but um, yeah, I don't know if that's, uh, but I think your breakdown, like it's so true. Like the first part is just like acknowledging that it's okay to, and then basically being able responsive to feedback, I think, is the other piece that um, is difficult, but um, is, is, is vitally important to kind of get better. You have to always be learning. You know, that, if you, I know that's kind of a cliche, but failure is meaningless if you don't learn from it, right? I know that's been said time and time again, but that's what really helped me turn the corners, really kind of just like anytime I've made a mistake on a project or quote-unquote failed at something, it's like, okay, how can I get better? And use that basketball analogy, you know, if we lost a game, we're in the film room the next day breaking it down, like could what could we have done better, you know, so the next game we go out and win. And that's how I try to approach the design process in a lot of ways yeah I, I feel like you're the guy that has like plays like pickup basketball and you have like a camcorder in the corner of the court and then you go back and watch your like pickup game when you get home to see how you get better i'm not that far <laughs> away from that like i take adult league pretty seriously like i'm pretty close to the yeah having awesome. the game film for sure um i guess exactly the other the other piece is like you know, Design Huddle, we have like a pretty diverse group of like people that are interested in branding, design, uh, also business folks that just like want to learn how designers kind of present ideas. What are some business skills that you think are critical that designers sometimes aren't the best at, but should kind of focus on improving? Uh, well, the first and obvious thing is just to be aware of the business goals. I think a lot of designers just might not know uh, what some of uh, you know the goals of the company they're working for might be, right? So just kind of knowing and understanding there is a business side to it and business decisions need to be made. So I know that seems obvious, but that's one answer. Um, just understanding how to incorporate data into your design process and how you iterate and improve a design, especially you know if you're working on digital you know websites or digital products, that's super important. Um, yeah, no, that's that's a big one for me is, is, is how to incorporate data and how does the data work with the business goals and what kind of business goals are you bringing out or kind of from the data? What are, you, what, kind of, what are the key data points and how does that connect to the business goal? There's a big trend in design where people are always saying that, you know, you want to make data-driven decisions. I, I think a better way to say it is uh, data-informed, right? You want it to be one of the elements that I help, 100% you, agree. help you make an educated decision, but you can't get obsessed to the point where you're not thinking about uh, stuff that's a little bit more qualitative. Um, so... Yeah, totally. I don't know if you if that if you agree with that or not, but oh no, I, I definitely uh, strongly agree. That really resonates with me, and I think it goes back to facilitation in a way and balance between qualitative and quantitative. I can't agree with you more uh, because I do see a lot of designers, and you know, we've even come up with this come up against this sometimes like well the data says this the data says that i'm like yeah for sure and we need to acknowledge that and we need to be informed by it but let's let's go have some you know intimate conversations with our users ask some why questions bring in the the quantitative side of this equation and that's going to make the whole design experience a lot better yeah i mean in the the one the other point you mentioned is like just understanding what the business goals are so like a lot of the, the best facilitators program managers, project managers, design sprint facilitators, whatever, right? The best thing, I think of the best UXers, 
they're kind of like uh, translators. They're taking various teams they're, and they're translating it so that everyone understands, everyone rallies around you know, common goals and they make sure that you know, it is clear. So because people, different businesses, different people are speaking different languages, especially in different industries. So it's your job to kind of decipher that, translate it and make it digestible so anybody can understand it. So that's like something that I've been, I, you know, I think I myself and I know a lot of other designers try to do is that there's a ton of like buzzword and fluff around like talking about UX. And, I, you know, I, we get it, right? Like people want their, want their job to seem more complicated than it is. But, um, yeah, you know, it's good job, job security, right? But at the end of the day, like I think designers of all people should make it as simple as possible. It should be very clear that like even if you've, you've, ne- you've never worked in, a, you know, the business world that you understand what you do and how, how you know, why your job's so effective, why you're effective at your job. So I, I think that I know that was a little bit of a rant, but I do think being a translator is a good metaphor for being a good UXer. I, I agree. Uh, as a facilitator, I, I, that's like I emphasize that and underline that word facilitation and, and like translating is a big part of that, right? It's like, and it goes back to alignment and, and getting people on the same page and translation is like a huge part of that. And then to your point, you know, speaking like a human being and not a designer is super important. You know, not everyone knows what a wireframe means or a KPI or OKR or prototype. No, you know, it, you can't assume that everyone knows all of these things and you have to just, you know, you know, speak the language of the people that you're working with. And it's funny because you teach yourself what those acronyms are, and then you have to unteach yourself to say the right, words out exactly. or use it in a simpler language. So it's a really funny totally. cycle that most people go through. But, um, but Zach, we like listen, Brendan. I really appreciate the time. We haven't had we we haven't talked too much about the design sprint and being a good facilitator. But I, I think you you know you've really been an amazing resource to the design huddle community. I guess my last take is like if you if, if you have people out there that are uh, facilitators, like what is like one or two things that you would recommend that they do to kind of up level their game? Uh, read a lot. Any any specific recommendations? I yeah, off the top, I'm, this is just off the top of my head. Creative strategies and the business of design uh, by Douglas Davis, the design sprint book, obviously. Um, made to stick power of moments uh, uh, any of the Marty Neumeyer books I think like brand gab zag uh, creative confidence that's just, just all the stuff up the top of my head but read a whole lot and then don't forget to listen I, th- I think I've emphasized that in a few of my Instagram posts and YouTube videos just listen 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 uh, you know, it goes back to translating, like you said. If you're able to read and listen, absorb, and translate, I think you'll be in good shape as a facilitator. All right, last thing before you go, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, yeah, the easiest way to find me is uh, through my. Uh, I think all my social media handles are Zach R Hill. Um, so my middle initials R, so Zach R Hill. Uh, then my agency that I work for, Toy, is T O I dot I O. So you can find us, uh, find us there. And then, yeah, me individually, Zach R. Hill. And obviously, Brendan and I will link everything in the episode notes slash description. But, yeah, another awesome episode in the book. Brendan, bring it home for the people listening. Guys, I couldn't have done any better. I'm really happy I, I just closed their mouth because the way that you guys, you know, 
did that sequentially, I think that's going to bring a lot of value. Really, all bring what I want to bring home is, guys, There's what we went over today is really the difference between doing and the facilitating. Really, what you guys need to understand in terms of skills there's two different there's many different variables in terms of having the ability to control time the people in the room and just being able to when things get off track how to actually bring them full circle and have everybody aligned on what you guys are trying to move forward towards whatever goal that may be and in addition to that you know going back to what i mentioned before being able to do things outside of your expertise to get other types of skills that you can bring back to home base and deepen your expertise even further. So being able to do more things to connect more dots to bring them back to your main expertise and just dig even deeper. And then finally, the one thing that or the last thing here, uh, frameworks wise, because we talked this whole thing was about design sprints and we dug pretty deep in it, really finding a way, whether it's through design sprints or some sort of framework that allows you to concretely think your way to a solution. So with that said, guys, that is Design Huddle. That is Zach Hill and Ryan Warner. And don't forget to leave reviews. No, <laughs> JK, guys, have a good day. Yeah, we'll catch you guys away. on the next one. Right. Thanks for joining. Peace. Design Huddle is a podcast that is hosted by Ryan Warner and Brendan Gross. The opinions stated here are our own and not those of our company. Thank you for tuning in and please feel free to share this episode.